Dopamine swipe, dopamine, dopamine swipe. Follow us, likes, double tap. What is going on, beautiful people? Welcome back to the 817 Podcast, and man, do we have a show for you this go-around. We have two interviews. Um, Last episode, we made a back call to two people, and the back call got to them. Jimmy responded. Both responded, and both on the docket in one week. So really excited to have uh, Jared Williams, council member for District 6, and Austin James with Nowtown, which does great research on urban development. Jimmy, I'm really excited for this episode. Yeah, me too. Uh, the way we're going to do it, we're not going to cover any stories the way we traditionally do. We're just going to talk with Jared first about the curfew and other things going on in city council. So that'll be more of the short story side. And then Austin with urban development is going to be the more concept uh, big story. So first we've got Jared coming on. Dr. Jared Williams was elected the first African-American to represent district six in 2021. And he is the youngest council member ever in the history of Fort Worth. He represents over 108,000 residents in South and Southwest Fort Worth, which is where he was born and raised. Um, he has dedicated his life to making a difference in Fort Worth and is focused on being the game changer needed to build strong neighborhoods in the district that he loves so dearly. So with that, here comes Dr. Jared Williams. Cool. Well, let's just go ahead and start with, uh, can you give us an overview of what, as if like people don't know, can you give us an overview of what is going on with the curfew and where you stand with the curfew? Um, and like, why should we be talking about it right now in Fort Worth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, back in 1994, the city council um, established a curfew ordinance that essentially um, um, restricted um, curfew or in- enacted curfew hours on minors, anyone 17 and under. Um, and it created a class C misdemeanor for any kids who were, um, you know, out in public spaces between the hours of 11 p.m. Um, to 6 a.m. Um, Sundays through Thursday, and then 12 a.m. Uh, to 6 a.m. on um, weekends, basically. And so um, within that policy, um, there's a clause called a sunset date, which is important context as to why we're talking about it right now. That sunset date um, basically says that um, by state law, every three years, um, municipalities who have curfew ordinances in effect are required to um, reevaluate the curfew ordinance based on its effectiveness. Um, and I, I think that's a really important clause because um, it creates uh, opportunities for conversation about the effectiveness of the policy. Um, it gives the community and council members the opportunity to ask questions such as, you know, does this ordinance um, or is this ordinance producing the outcomes that um, the council and community originally set out uh, to achieve every three years? Um, and so the reason it's on the agenda um, and kind of a hot topic lately is because we're at that sunset period. And um, as a council member um, who represents the community that I was raised in, grew up in, um, I think it's really important on this decision as well as a number of other um, decisions um, that we ask that question, um, is this policy 30 years later 
um, having the impact positively that we hope it would. Um, and so for me, um, I took that opportunity very seriously. I'm engaged residents, I'm engaged staff to ask the questions about what the effectiveness is. And uh, that's where we are right now. Is there, so I guess the last time that it did sunset was before we even started the podcast. I don't remember um, as much conversation happening around it then. Is this like one of the first times where there has been this much back and forth on it or does this kind of happen every three years? Um, I'm not sure um, to what degree debate happened before I was on council. Um, I will say that um, as a council member, uh, my first time learning about the curfew ordinance was when I was on council <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up in Fort Worth. Right. And so, um, you know, that for me in and of itself was a learning opportunity to better understand, you know, what is this ordinance? What was the intent um, and what is it actually doing? And so, um, you know, the questions that I asked uh, were really around, you know, what's the what who's you know being cited for this? Um, I know that staff had um, mentioned during kind of our work session discussions about whether or not to reauthorize this ordinance um, around this um, ordinance in part was um, put in place to prevent crime, right? So then my next question is, okay, well, what's the data in correlation between the number of curfew violations with um, that were also um, 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 a situation where youth also you know were involved in other offenses as well um and so i went down that road and asked those questions um and you know i the 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 answers that i had um you know really inspired me to continue to engage with my community and my district um, about is this um indeed an ordinance that is um, doing what we all want to do and that is to keep our children safe and so i'll just throw a couple of numbers out there um since 2015 um, there's only been 832 citations written. Um, and in the city of Fort Worth, we have 256,000 uh, residents who are under the age of 18. Um, we look at that on an annual basis. Um, that's about 100 citations a year, which means it's impacting 0.03% of our young people, right? So, um, you know, that was something that was of interest to me. The other thing that was interesting is of those 832 violations, um, only 11 of those violations had an additional offense. Um, and those 11 offenses, um, zero um, were for crimes against persons and crimes against property, right? Um, and so for me, that was concerning because if this ordinance was in fact supposed to keep our kids safe and also reduce crime, um, one, we're, we're only seeing a small percentage of this ordinance, um, you know, citing our youth. And then the other piece of it is, um, we don't have the evidence to support that it's, in fact, you know, um, preventing crime. Um, and so I think I think those uh, data points are really important. Um, I know that, you know, we also had conversations around how this impacts specifically um, our teenagers and our boys disproportionately, um, and then also our boys of color. Um, and so to me, a lot of those were red flags for me to engage with my community um, that's why we hosted the only listening circle um, in this past three month period. Um, it's a town hall um, that we have periodically um, or quite regularly with our constituents about issues that impact them. Um, and we take the conversation into our neighborhoods and get their input. Um, I always say this seat is not Jerry Williams seat. This is all of our seat. And so that's why we have listening sessions to make sure that 
as we're um, having conversations about policies at City Hall, um, that those conversations on my part are informed by um, the residents that we serve. Yeah, you have the the, the, the current ordinance is set to expire February 13th. Um, mm-hmm. I, and it seems like the, 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 your peers and your, te- the, the council just said, Hey, you know, the state is also discussing this. Let's, let's see what they do. Can you give me the different, uh, like they could be the same, but what, what is, what, what, what does this conversation look like at the state level? And then what does this conf- conversation look like at the local level? And like, where's the conflict or, um, alignment? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is not just a conversation happening in Fort Worth, as you said. It's not just happening in the state. It's happening all across the country. Um, And it's really around this idea of status offenses. Um, Status offenses are essentially offenses um, that wouldn't be illegal for adults, um, but yet a local jurisdiction uh, creates some sort of law in the books that makes that offense um, illegal for folks under the age of 17 or whatever the age limit is, right? Um, and so um, the reason to me that's such an important conversation is, you know, status offenses um, are things that um, we see um, that um, happen all the time in our community, right? Um, an example is uh, kids running away from home, whether there's trauma at home or whether they're experiencing some trauma that they just need to get outside of, you know, their normal space. Um, if, if it's a curfew, breaking a curfew, whether they came home for work, right, um, on a late shift. Um, or whether um, they're leaving a football game um, and going to IHOP and either knowingly or unknowingly knows that there's a curfew in effect, right? Um, And status offenses, um, to me, are problematic because they um, expose our kiddos to the criminal justice system um, and criminalize, um, in my opinion, um, activities that are within their constitutional rights. Um, I think the other thing that's problematic about curfew ordinances is, um, in my opinion, um, it doesn't create a partnership between our parents and guardians, mm-hmm. right? Um, our parents and guardians, um, you know, all want their kiddos to be safe, you know, and, you know, um, it's their right to be able to set the curfew. Uh, for my baby girl, Janelle, she'll have a curfew at 9 p.m. when she's <laughs> 13 or 14. <laughs> and I know a lot of parents, uh, there's a lot of responsible parents who, you know, want to have that um, flexibility and, and, and be able to utilize their rights to be able to um, parent in the way that's best for their child. Um, and so that conversation is happening not just in Fort Worth, but in the state. Um, there is um, a bill on the um, that's in route through the legislative process that essentially would repeal cities' um, ability to enforce um, curfew ordinances. Um, and I just want to like set the record straight. Like, um, I think we all agree that we want our kids to be safe. Um, but I think the safety of our children is a 24 seven job, right? It's not just between the hours of 11 and 6 a.m. I think, you know, we as a city, if and, you know, when we're taking issues around the safety of our kids, um, I think it's important that we really think comprehensively and holistically about. Um, what does it take for our kiddos to be safe around the clock? And that involves engaging our parents, engaging our students in those conversations to ask them, what does it take for you to be safe? Yeah. On that note, talking about like, what is a city we can do to help keep our kids safe? You, in response to the curfew, have brought forward the care for minors uh, proposal. Can you walk us through what that is, what went into it and what you're hoping to see come out of bringing that to the table? Absolutely. So 
um, the resolution um, that, you know, I proposed and um, that was co-sponsored by Councilman Renettos um, really birthed out of conversations that we had in our District 6 Town Hall, out of conversations that we had at, at the dais, uh, at City Council meetings, and also during work session. Um, and it was an opportunity, I thought, to be able to um, really take a holistic look at what we heard and said, what is the solution that ultimately keeps our kids safe around the clock? And um, and so, you know, this resolution is very clear in its intent in doing that um, in a number of ways. But overall, the goal of this resolution is to um, ask council to support directing city management staff uh, to develop a plan, um, um, an implementation plan um, that aligns with the framework in which this resolution is setting um, and to come back to count bring back to council what that plan looks like um, and ultimately what are the budget implications for that? So by no means does voting on this resolution um, fix the problem. It's a step in, in having a conversation holistically about what does it mean to care for our minors. Um, the CARE resolution is an acronym. Um, it's the Child Assistance um, and Respo uh, Response and Engagement Plan um, that ultimately um, asks city management to develop a holistic um, approach to diverting our kids uh, from the criminal justice system who are involved in status offenses and minor offenses. Um, we know the trauma and the impact that um, prematurely um, introducing our kids to the criminal justice system has uh, not only on uh, on their uh, on their growth and development um, um, into adulthood, but also um, very real um, impacts that it has on their education. And we know how important you know, seeing our kids be successful in the K-12 space is to having uh, thriving adults who lead forward into the next generation. Um, and so this Care for Minors plan ultimately does a couple of things. Um, one, it, it asks staff to look at what's the feasibility of establishing what we call Care for Minors teams all across the city um, that encompass uh, social workers, mental health workers, uh, that encompasses our uh, first responders like police, EMT, and fire, um, to take a around-the-clock approach um, to kids who are um, perceived as being involved in um, status offenses. Um, what this uh, system would allow is for folks to call a non-emergency line, whether it's parents, teachers, educators, um, to uh, report to this non-emergency hotline, whether kid is um, skip skipping school, ran away from home, is under some type of non-violent distress, um, and this care for minors team would be able to respond to that child in a wraparound approach, um, and also partner with the parents and guardians throughout the interaction um, with that child and ultimately help them get to a safe space um, and a place of care. Um, and all of that is diverting them from getting a citation and <laughs> going through a court system um, for um, a, a, a traumatic experience that they may be having or just being a kid um, and not doing anything wrong, um, you know, um, in a serious level offense. And so um, that's pretty much the plan. Um, it, it also, um, you know, requires some training. Um, one of the things that I was concerned about the curfew ordinance is for 30 years, uh, we didn't give our staff, including our PD, um, the tools to be able to um, understand, um, to, to be able to um, imp implement the curfew ordinance. Um, for 30 years, there was no specific training around the curfew ordinance. Um, and so I think, you know, in, in, in the wake of what we see with um, Tyree and Memphis. And um, I think it's just so important that um, as cities, we deliver city services to the highest um, level 
because um, you know our, our our residents depend on those services and their life depends on that. And so um, this is a caring approach. That's something we've heard a lot um, throughout the conversations around the curfew ordinance. Um, and, and my hope is that this resolution becomes the starting point of a discussion of how do we holistically um, care for our minors and keep them safe twenty four seven. For residents who may not, don't follow council meetings or um, the processes of how cities move on something like this, what's kind of next steps for you? Like what, what, what would need to, what does this need to look like in order for it to be funded and supported? Absolutely. So um, the council's role um, is um, very clear in our city government and our city charter. Um, we, we have the authority to set policy, which creates framework for then staff to implement protocols on the ground of how to fulfill that policy. We also set budgets every year, so we're responsible for overseeing um, the financial resources of the city and being good stewards of um, not only our um, you know enterprise revenue funds, but even more importantly, the taxpayer dollars um, that we all pay. Um, and then we're also responsible for um, hiring and firing the executive um, leadership team. Um, and so um, that includes city manager, city secretary, city attorney, city auditor. Um, and so in that purview, um, you know, setting a resolution like this, it's important for me that we stay within our role as a city council. Uh, and the spirit of this resolution is to set goals of what, you know, I would like to see based on what I heard from residents and from conversations in the work session. Um, that ultimately, you know, see a program that cares for our minors in a comprehensive way 24-7. So now that resolution authorizes staff to go look into it, right? And so um, in order for them to be authorized to do that, um, this resolution would have to pass on February 14th. Um, this resolution is coming up and it requires a majority vote on council. Um, if and when this vote is successful, um, then that would give staff the direction to, um, you know, really do the nuts and bolts work of, um, you know, what possible partnerships are available, right? Like there's county resources already available for mental health and social work. Um, we already have first responders um, that, um, you know, serve all across the city. So how do we coordinate those resources that are available and what costs are associated with that level of coordination for implementing that? And all of that is the work of city staff. Um, down the road, um, before the next budget cycles, um, they'll be bringing back a plan um, that the council will consider as a part of the overall city budget cycle, which happens in August and September of this upcoming uh, year. So um, that's that's a bit of the timeline. Um, it, it's by no means uh, the final um, say when we vote on uh, February 14th, but it's the beginning of really taking a comprehensive approach to solving um, a problem that we all care about you know, so much, and that's the safety of our kiddos. Is there anything else specifically about the curfew that we you feel like we missed or haven't talked about yet? Yeah. So the other thing is, um, you know, y'all mentioned that the the curfew is set to expire. Um, you know, that will um, be um, no longer in effect on um, February thirteenth. Um, however, council could still take up action on that. I don't believe uh, that we are at this point. Um, and so February 14th would then be the vote on this resolution, um, which ultimately would uh, take a comprehensive approach at dealing with this issue. So for our residents who are really concerned, you know, about our kiddos being out late at night and the safety 
um, risks that may be associated with that. You know, I completely understand that. And, um, you know, the goal of this care for minors resolution is not only to um, ensure that our kiddos are safe at night, but also, you know, during the school day in between in the after school time hours, et cetera. Yeah. It's um, that stability, you know, it's, you know, that they can be comprehensive throughout their day makes, makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense. And um, it's, well, what's your kind of take on like communicating to this, to your peers, getting support for it? You know, what are, what are the things that you're hearing are, 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 are there concerns and, and, you know, uh, you know, things like funding I'm imagining, or how do we, how do we fit this in? What, what are some concerns and then how do you try to advocate? Hey, we can, we can solve these. Yeah. I'm uh, more hopeful than ever uh, about our ability to solve tough challenges like the safety of our kids. Also recognize that there are some concerns that have been um, reported on here lately. One of the concerns being um, that this is too expensive. Mm. Um, And I think that that conversation is way premature. (laughs) Um, City management hasn't even been authorized to develop a plan um, and uh, assess how much that plan would cost. Um, So we're very much um, too early to say how much it'll cost. The other thing I would say is it's less about the expense and it's more about the level of coordination for the services that are already available and ensuring mm-hmm. that we're providing them in a wraparound way. I remember growing up and I would walk to the store um, and there were several neighbors <laughs> who had the green light to make to check on me from my parents to make sure that I was okay and to make sure that I got back home safely. And that's essentially what these teams are doing. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, in this world of public safety, um, we budget and prioritize what's important to us as a community that we value. I mean, we all know that we want safe neighborhoods. We want our kids to be able to walk to the store, come home from working at IHOP or Whataburger, right, or wherever they are, and ensure that they have safe travel back home. I mean, what I would say is, you know, um, not only how much is uh, the value of public safety work, but especially when it comes to our kids. Um, the, the other thing I would, I would say is that, um, this resolution is only, um, and this, this framework is only, uh, the beginning of a larger conversation on how we keep our kids safe. Um, I was fortunate to be able to, um, spearhead the, uh, process of developing the one second collaborative. And I know that there are some folks that are wondering, um, how is this resolution different than the one second collaborative, which is specifically, um, designed to address and prevent gun violence. Um, we were able to partner with the county to invest $6 million into a collaborative organized by United Way, but that would engage a community of residents and organizations um, to specifically address um, gun, youth gun violence prevention um, in a very um, specific way of um, conflict resolution for kiddos who we know um, are um, considering or at risk of pulling the trigger. Right. Um, gun violence and status offenses are two separate issues that our kids face that are both very real and threatening to their safety. Um, and so I would say this plan is only um, it's another building block um, to a number of things that I think are important to us as a city that we need to consider on keeping folks safe, especially our kiddos. You know, you said you're not sure how how heightened this conversation got in the past. What what do you think is the reasons that this gotten so big? I mean, we, we do our podcast every week and every time we saw the curfew story, we're like, yeah, we don't need to talk about that. And then like a couple of weeks left and people are like, Oh, you know, now we're canceling meetings. And now it's like, I'm like, okay, so I guess we're, we got to talk about this. Why do you think it got so big this time around? Um, I think 
you know, for me, it was important that we ask the hard questions. Any policy, I don't care what the policy is, if it has a sunset date, we owe it to our residents to really deeply evaluate it. And I know um, sometimes, you know, um, governments, um, governing bodies can get in the habit of rubber stamping policies and moving on because of mm-hmm. expedience, right? Um, and I, and for me, this um, was an issue that was really important to um, constituents that I represent. Um, and it's my job to carry those concerns um, to the dais. Um, and so for me and uh, some of my colleagues who also um, were receiving concerns, we thought it was important to go slow, to go fast later. Um, and that's why we continued it, you know, two or three times um, from council meeting to council meeting to ensure that we're getting deep community engagement. Um, you know, I think that that's important for um, local government. Yeah. Um, to me, it's where the rubber meets the road. Um, the decisions that we make have very real impacts positively and sometimes negatively on our residents, um, you know, within the community. And so um, with every decision we make, I think it's really important that um, as representatives that we go and seek um, multiple um, perspectives, uh, not just folks who are for issue or against an issue, but um, taking holistically the input uh, that we're getting from our residents and doing that kind of <laughs> needle threading work of what's the what's the core values and issues that our communities are facing around this particular conversation and even more importantly um, wh- um, what solutions can we make ultimately to um, ensure that we're doing the widest amount of good for the folks that we serve yeah well well it seems with us having a younger city council um, you know that I feel like also allows us to be hits us home i guess closer as well um and 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 speaking of you know you know a younger council uh a lot of you are running for re-election now um for this upcoming ballot tell me how was your first run at this what was something you're like man this was spot on what i was expecting and then what was something you're like i had was not i I wasn't ready for this i didn't know this was going to be a part of it yeah i mean um i am incredibly grateful and humbled to have been able to like uh, serve these first two years. Um, what's most humbling about it is like growing up in the district, you know, um, on the southwest side of Fort Worth, going to North Crowley um, and being able to um, represent the neighborhoods that did so much for me and my family. Um, you know, you, you think of like I thought of that service um, and didn't take it lightly when I was running the first time, but to actually uh, be able to go to work day to day. Um, and to be able to have an impact on issues that my neighbors care about um, and to be able to ensure that their voice um, is amplified in City Hall um, is something that like I anticipated, but you don't really recognize it until you're in the moment and get to feel it. Um, you know, I think in, in terms of surprises, um, uh, I will be the first to say that elective service and public service is not the easiest thing. Um, I'm the youngest council member ever in the history of city of Fort Worth. Uh, I'm the first person of color to represent um, the district that I grew up in. Um, and all of that, I don't say to brag or boast, but just to say, um, you know, that there is a certain level of responsibility and weight that comes with that. Um, and for me, um, you know, that weight also comes with juggling, having a newborn, Right. Having to work <laughs> nine mm-hmm. to five because council pays twenty three thousand dollars a year, <laughs> which is not a living wage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
right? <laughs> um, and and counsel requires a lot of time, right? Like um, for me, people ask me, how do I do it juggling so much? Um, you know, working at um, the Tanner Food Bank and also, um, you know, caring for a family and a newborn. And for me, it's hard work. Um, it's hard work too, but it's also hard work. Um, I feel a calling to this and a purpose um, that for me is beyond measure. And that's something that I don't take lightly. And so, um, although the time constraints was a bit of a surprise, um, I'm really proud of the way that me, my family, my community, my team um, were able to navigate uh, sometimes very stressful uh, moments filled with anxiety of how was I going to make ends meet from day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm really proud of all we've accomplished. Um, I'll say this, you know, um, we set out um, on this, um, you know, very ambitious goal of um, this idea of what does it take to create a just and prosperous city. Um, you know, that's the, um, um, to me, it's the, the strength of our neighborhoods, which are the building blocks of the city. Um, and over the past 18 months, um, you know, we've worked on strengthening our neighborhood economy. Um, we brought $290 million in private, private investment for commercial development. Um, we set the framework for, uh, the Southwest Fort Worth reinvestment zone at the intersection of Alta Mason McCart and McCart and Sycamore. Um, we also worked to improve neighborhood safety. That's why we were here mm-hmm. today. Um, you know, not only um, ensuring that we invested in addressing and preventing uh, youth gun violence, um, but we also um, ensured that uh, we made bold investments um, in fixing our 911 system, um, ensuring that we had more neighborhood police officers, um, ensuring that we had really tough conversations about what does it mean to have a transparent and accountable government um, that is serving the people. Um, and we also had tough conversations about, you know, investing in simple safety measures, like ensuring that every school has a crosswalk and a crossing guard to make sure our kids can walk across the street safely. Um, or ensuring that no kid has to pay for uh, membership fees at our community centers because our community centers should be the safe spaces um, that they want to go to. Um, and I think um, equally as important, um, we strove to ensure that our office represented the voice and values of our community. Um, and we held over 30 uh, listening circles in 18 months, which mm-hmm. is a lot of town halls for a single district. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, the reason we did that is because we take um, issues very seriously um, uh, that our neighbors are facing and ensuring that we're listening to their voices um, because ultimately um, they are proximate to the issues just like I am living in the neighborhood. Um, and when we have intentional conversation together, that's how we create solutions ultimately that um, um, are long lasting and sustainable for our district. Yeah. So looking forward to the May election, you're, you know, some council members are having to run for new districts. You're still running for district six, even though it's changed a little bit. Uh, what does that look like? Um, does it feel different going into this election? Um, after last time was obviously really close also, uh, yeah, what's like the strategy vision going into May? Um, I don't think elections and campaigning is rocket science. <laughs> um, it's about, it's, at the at the core of it, it's asking people, um, you know, for their vote and and ensuring that the message and the platform and the promises that you're making are reflective of the values of the district mm-hmm. that you're seeking to serve. Um, and for me, um, that's something that I take very seriously. Um, January come filing, right, that happened a couple weeks ago. That wasn't when we launched our campaign. 
um, our campaign has never stopped because the conversations um, have to keep ha- um, happening. Um, and so every election, whether it's our election or not, we're engaging our residents about, hey, did you know it's time to vote again? Your voice is your vote in this democracy. Um, and you have the right and should use that right um, to ensure your voice is heard. Um, you know, I, when I first um, ran for this office, I was a little bit disappointed in the historical like turnout data. Um, 5,000 people in a district of 108,000 people uh, on average would come to the polls to make their voice heard, right? That's less than 5% of District 6 residents having a say at who represents them on decisions every week uh, that impact um, uh, impact them and their families right at their doorstep. And um, for me and my, and my team, we decided we wanted to do something about that. So the last election, um, we saw 10,000 people turn out in a general election. I um, mean, we went in the runoff and saw 15,000 people uh, turn out um, in an election. Um, and our goal as a team is to continue to push ourselves to reach more and more people. Um, I'm committed to knocking 15,000 doors by myself. Um, I know that we have a lot more doors to knock with um, this new district with over 95,000 residents um, in this district. Um, and so our goal is to work to get as close to 100% uh, of our <laughs> residents showing up to the polls. Um, and I'm committed to doing that. Our team is uh, fantastic. And even more importantly, we all really love um, serving and, and having conversations with um, with our neighbors about what they'd like to see in these next two years. Yeah. Well, I have two final questions. I don't know. I, I can ask one. And if, if some, if you have something, I'll let you run uh, and give something. But uh, mine is around. I'm imagining you don't want to hold on to that title as the youngest city council member that long. But what is <laughs> what is your take on like? Have you what you know? Have you have you seen your peers? Have you seen younger people in Fort Worth get more involved? What is your advice? You know, like how do you how do you see us? making it more normal for city council to look like the average Fort Worthian who's 33 and a half, you know, like I would love to hear your take on that. Yeah. I, I don't wear the youngest council member <laughs> badge as a badge of honor. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I really, um, I share that uh, mostly to tell uh, our audience or whoever I'm engaging with that anything is possible. Um, if you live on purpose and, you know, you roll up your sleeves and you get it done. Um, and believe in yourself. And that's the message that I um, really stress to young folks. Um, you know, last week I did a listening tour in high schools um, where I was talking to high school juniors and seniors at Southwest High School and a number of other schools, um, just telling them about the importance of, um, you know, voting whoever they vote for and the importance of, um, you know, public service as um, a career pathway. And I think that that's so important for us in Fort Worth. I remember my own educational experience wondering, like, when was civics and civic engagement ever really just <laughs> caught at a nuanced level? And I, I don't remember that uh, being a part of my K-12 curriculum and experience. Um, and to me, that is um, a vulnerability to our democracy. Um, and so I've committed myself to doing everything that I can um, to ensure that we're engaging young folks in this process. I'll give uh, two examples. Um, one on my campaign team, um, we bring on interns. Uh, whether they're in high school or they're in college or whether they're, you know, deciding on a second career and want to take a dabble into, you know, campaigning and working for or or, uh, working to earn people's votes. Um, And the other part is, you know, I think it's important for folks like us to build the bench. 
Um, and so that's why I hired the youngest district director ever in the history of Fort Worth with Mr. Kendall Lott. Um, he graduated from North Crowley High School, um, I believe at 16 or 17 with his associate and his high school diploma. Went to UNT and he just graduated um, in December. Now he's working on Capitol Hill as a deputy chief for a Congress member at 19 years old. Right. And I think that that's so important that when we um, are um, when we have an opportunity to lead wherever that space is, whether it's in government or whether it's, you know, in our various spaces and places, um, it's important that we reach back to the next generation of mentor. My grandma was big on that. My dad was big on that. Right. A lot of our families, you know, you you learn things from your elders um, and then they give hopefully give you a chance to um, kind of put that into motion and action. And so I take that really seriously in building the bench of our next um, public servants in Fort Worth and I've been seeing to do that. Right. Yeah. Well, um, this this question doesn't need to make the show because it's it's kind of right on your on your nine to five job. I know Tarrant Area Food Bank just had like this big announcement around like becoming a part of a national conglomerate of like food and, and, and maybe feeding like a half a million people. And like it just seems like a lot of great work's happening there. Is 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 there anything you can kind of share with that and, 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 and what that looks like? Yeah, I want to be cautious of my hats because <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a campaign hat and don't want to mix work. But I will say that the Tanner Food Bank is doing really great work. It's so important. Global food insecurity uh, is unreal and inflation has exacerbated that, um, really forcing our neighbors to make really hard decisions and stretch the dollar beyond how far it can stretch um, to provide basic necessities for themselves and their families. And so um, our residents all across the 13 county service area are resilient. Um, and, you know, sometimes in times like these, um, it's important that we have um, resources available to ensure that, um, you know, when our families and neighbors are facing crisis, that they have the resources they do, that they need to get back on their feet. So I'm really proud of the work that they're doing. And it's it's really cool to see all that they've accomplished. Awesome. Well, Jared, thank you for d- jumping on the 817 podcast and joining Jimmy and I. And, uh, you know, we look forward to advocate and support um, everything you're doing uh, for teenagers and for your community uh, and just your story in general. Super inspiring to all of us. Man, thank you, EJ. Appreciate y'all for all that y'all do. We are really excited now to dive into our second interview with Austin James, who runs the uh, social accounts and website now.town now town since 2016 has been covering changes to the urban landscape of Fort Worth their goal is to keep neighborhoods informed promote excellent development and champion Fort Worth to a better future so whether you are interested in architecture transportation real estate whatever it is that goes with urban development of Fort Worth now town is the place to follow we have followed yeah, his account excited. for a long time. Yeah. Um, so we are really excited to connect with him and see what he I has bet, to yeah, say I about like, development. Yeah, I feel like Austin in like the Colmana energy area for me. Like just like people who do like the real work. And I'm really pumped for this interview uh, and finally getting to connect with him. Which, uh, speaking of Nicole, who is no longer at the Star Telegram, this is her last week. Yeah. Uh, so shout out to really shout out to every you know star telegram reporter yeah. that comes in does good work uh we are always sad to see you go and nicole is the the next one who's moving to jacksonville and i feel like 
this is like we just like messed up his interview by like you know bringing up some sad news. Yeah, 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 <laughs> because really, guys, Austin is uh, like someone who does like the best. Like every every straight up every Sunday when we record, I, I will I will look at Nowtown and see what his recent post is, see what his recent tweet is, and um, yeah, this is some going to be some great information on this pod. So here comes Austin. Well, I grew up in Mansfield, so I've always lived in Tarrant County. Um, of course, you know, it's a suburb, so it's kind of, once I was getting older, I was always interested in cities, and, you know, I, I played SimCity and all that, and uh, when I turned 16, I, I was like, hey, I'm going to go adventure out, and uh, first I went the wrong direction, I went, I went east, and I was <laughs> like, man, this is, this is a lot, this is overwhelming, and I was like, I'm going to go see what's over in, in the side of the town over here on that fourth place, and just was like, hey, this is a lot more accommodating and interesting and uh just felt really welcoming so always kind of been into that and uh i don't you know it had always been in my backyard and i knew about it a little bit but i wasn't super intimately familiar with the city so kind of uh got over here and really got into it and then i think what really uh kind of spurred my interest in in like actual what's going on locally was back in 2010 when the streetcar debate was going on i was in high school at the time so i wasn't paying a whole lot of attention but it was kind of one of the, the first things that really got me like understanding how important local development and being involved in that and even local politics are. Yeah. No. So like, so tell me, like, yeah. tell me your like, so for those of you who may not have seen uh, now town and, and Austin's work, it's, it's to me, some of my favorite, like one of my t- favorite Twitter follows every week before I get onto the eight one seven podcast, I look at the tweets, make sure we're on the freshes about development. And so can you talk more about how you got to, being um i mean you're talking about your first interest and it was 2010 so now you have over 10 years of of time uh really 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 building a really cool kind of content uh generator for fort worth can you talk more about uh what you do there and uh, what was the purpose of Nowtown? well the first thing i'll say is that the two things that really inspired me are are john roberts Fort Worth architecture forum and so if you're if you're a nerd about this kind of thing you're on that website or you're reading it if you're not familiar with it, look it up. It's a great place. It's a great resource. And that's kind of just, uh, again, it's a bunch of people talking cities, architecture. And it, I say a bunch of people. It's a pretty small group, but it's a, it's a <laughs> kind of group. Um, and then, of course, if you remember Fort Worthology back in the day, that was run by Cara, who's she odds off in uh, Portland now. And I, I guess that was a couple of years ago that uh, she left. And there was, so there's kind of a, uh, a vacuum, essentially, of, of news there. And uh, I just really wanted to have... I just I, I thought it was interesting uh, to know what's going on, and then I realized other people might as well. So I started it. It's been fourth urban forever. I'm kind of trying to get away from that branding a little bit, just because there's a couple of other companies that are actually doing business with similar names. So I don't want to over overlook at them or overlap with them. And uh, so we've kind of been rebranding this this now town, and uh, that's also the domain. So if you do now dot sound is the actual website. Yeah. So what what's uh your what was like your original goal with getting it started and how have you seen that evolve over the last few years the original goal i guess i started initially the twitter account in 2016 and uh just as a place to talk about what's going on and uh, kind of make sure people knew what was going on too because i thought again i thought hey if i'm if i think this is interesting other people are going to know want to know going to want to know what's going on in their neighborhoods so I started that up and uh, the, the growth has been crazy. I mean, it, I think it's, I have 
Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And there's over 15,000 followers on all four of those platforms combined, which is nuts. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And I, and it seems like a lot of, of, a lot of room to grow. Uh, what is, so, so now dive into your work, like, you know, doing this for since, you know, 2016, like dive into, like, how do you talk to Fort Worth to people who may have never been here or people who want to learn more about why they should invest their lives or even their businesses uh, in Tarrant County? Ooh, I think it's just, it's an interesting place. It's growing a lot. Um, we, we know that's a frequent topic. It's kind of like one of the big topics of the day of, of I guess, the decade, really. Um, you know, we were second fastest growing city between 20, 20, 2000 and 2020 in the U.S. Um, so there's there's so much going on and, and everybody's talking about it all the time. And uh, I, I say a lot like 10 years ago or 13 years ago or so now, there really wasn't a lot of like actual chances for urban living and urban development. It was, mm-hmm. it was just kind of, we were, it was suburban growth. It wasn't really anything was happening in the core and the core neighborhoods. And, uh, it's, it's kind of transformed the way that people look at the city. I think what has been like urban development, Twitter and your work has for me, like opened my eyes a lot to learning about how cities operate and how they grow. And, like asking the question of what do I want the place that I live to look like as far as like walkability, public transit, development, et cetera. Um, do you feel like you have gotten to like enter into those conversations and spaces with uh, different organizations around the city because of your work or what's kind of like the feedback that you get from people online and just around Fort Worth with the information that you put out there? Uh, yeah, I think I'll say, I'll answer the, the, the uh, have I been involved? It's, it's been great because people have come to me and, and asked me my opinion on things. And uh, when I say people, I guess I mean city officials and people in the planning sphere. Uh, within the city as far as like getting involved I, I i hope that the account just inspires people to uh you know make their voices heard whether or not they they want something or don't even um you know i guess it's kind of obvious that we are a proponent of growth I, I, mm-hmm. that i am a proponent personally um and of course not not all growth but you know i you want to i want to see positive change not not negative change and uh so hopefully i that this is inspires people to voice those opinions as well how do you see is that well answered i don't know yeah yeah no that's perfect how how do you see the uh so like what is your like if you were going to give a kind of a ted talk on fort worth and it's and it's urban development or growth like what is what is the one high point that you would want people to know and then like what's like uh maybe a a feedback point or like this is where i would like to see us improve that's a good one um you're gonna have to add this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess uh, what do y'all think I, I really don't well I, I guess you're, I mean like you're so intuitive uh, maybe maybe let's start like more with your how like can you give me your how on how do you do what you do like how do you stay so in tune with what's moving around in Fort Worth my how on well there's kind of two things that I do is, is a I figure out what's going to happen and you can do that by watching city council meetings and there's dozens of other boards. There's zoning, there's downtown Grand design review, urban development boards. And um, you do that for fun. Like then, you do that or is that part of work? No, I, I do that for fun. It's weird. No, that's awesome. Don't laugh. 
don't laugh. No, and then uh, you can scour. There's plenty of places where you can scour permits, uh, either through the city or the state, or even the FAA. You can find stuff on on there because if you're building a, a, a tall building, you have to file that with the FAA. Got so it. that's a pretty interesting place to find stuff. And so it's kind of the first half of what I do is I like I really go and find things. And the second thing that I try and do is, as far as my coverage is like cover things that are are getting built. And uh, that's a fun because I get to combine some of my favorite hobbies. I try and do a lot of those like construction updates that you see on the account. Mm-hmm. I try and plan those out like on bike rides, for example. Mm-hmm. And so it's a great way to kind of get out and actually see the city. And then, uh, of course, I bring my camera with me and photography is one of my favorite things to do. So it's kind of a weird combination of photography and construction. It makes me feel like a kid, but it's fun. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's rad. Um I've done that recently because it's terribly cold, so I've just been (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anybody that. You guys can do that. Uh, Going back to you started talking about, like, urban development in the core and Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, 10, 15 years ago not really being something that Fort Worth was necessarily doing. Now, like, we're kind of warming up to it, but every time there's a... um, zoning commission meeting or something is up for debate about building new apartments or building another big building there's plenty of debate around uh, and i would say normally like local pushback from some of the more long-standing residents of the city um and so to me like that urban development is an area of improvement for the city is like making more of more walkable uh, dense mixed use communities. Um, where do you feel like the city is kind of landing on that right now? Or what does development in that nature look like for Fort Worth right now? Yeah, I think it's, you, you had to have density and you had to have population to support these places, you know, and uh, sometimes the way of achieving that isn't always popular. Like it's, it's a lot of times it's through big apartment buildings and those are obviously always a big debate. And uh, you know, either from people not liking the density itself or down to people not liking the way they look. Uh, it, it is crazy how much it's changed. I mean, the first like proper, you know, you call them six over one, where they're just those wood frame apartment buildings <clears throat> that you see all over. The first one of those built near Southside was not 10 years, it was 10 years ago. So, and now there's several <laughs> of them and more than half a dozen of them over there. And there there's thousands of units that they brought to the neighborhood. And so the hope is that, you know, those are, supporting people that live are living in those are supporting the local businesses and the local economy and they're working in the nearest outside for example hopefully they're working in the hospitals or and it's giving people that work in those environments a place to live where they can live a more urban lifestyle and i, I think my kind of definition of urban lifestyle is any is any development or area or neighborhood where the car is not the entire focus of what you're doing mm. so like uh you're getting around and you know, there's, there's options to get around with other modes of transportation yeah, you have um, on your site, you know, places that didn't exist in Fort Worth in 2010. West 7th Bridge, Dickey's Arena, Sundance Square Plaza, Kimbell Piano Pavilion, South Main, all of Clear Fork, River District, and River East. Um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy how much it's changed. Like, again, you know, I have to ask people, how many of your places that you go to didn't exist a decade ago or, or in 2010 or so? And a lot of those places, you know, they're, they're now places that people love and are, are icons and landmarks in the city. And yeah. uh, so it's, it's, that's how, you know, we really are having seen that change. The 2010s were really an incredible year, incredible decade for uh, 
actually seeing investment and uh, people living in and working in and and so how being do you, entertained yeah. in how do you, city, how, these urban neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you see? So then, how do you see transit moving forward? Uh, need to be prioritized in Fort Worth. That's a tough one because it's up to Trinity Metro, who is doing what they can. Mm-hmm. I think you know they, there's you can do you can only do what you can with the resources you're given, and Trinity Metro's resources are not a massive amount. We know that this is an issue. Uh, you know, every other city has twice, or not every other city, but comparable cities like Dallas, Houston, San Antonio. I might be wrong there, so that might not be something to include. But they they have uh, they have they're getting twice as much money, and they have significantly larger member cities and catchment areas that they can pull from. So it's important, and again, Trinity Metro is is kind of stuck where they're at. They they do have plans, and they're they're you know there's there's certain projects that they're trying to implement, and they've done a, I think they've done a great job recently. They did the uh, new bus routing system. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really improved a lot of things. At least it's been easier for me, I know. And uh, so it's, I think it's a thing that's frustrating because it's, you want to see more of it. And also you don't have a lot of hope that there's going to be more. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope we can figure out, and I don't know what the solution is there, right? Like it's, is it state level? Is it federal level where you can get more money to build more things? Do we even want that? Like do the citizens want that? I don't know, but I, I, I hope that we do. And uh, like, because having that is a, a critical component in actually making these urban neighborhoods work good. Yeah, one data point you have here is the Dart Dallas's transit um, was adopted in 1983 when Dallas's population was 934,915 people. That was in 1983, and that is really mirrored to what Fort Worth is today at 935,508. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so consider that that Dart, you know, it has this incredible system of of light rail today. It's the longest in the country, and they started wow. planning that when they were really, when Dallas was the same size as we are today. And there's a couple of of differences there. I mean, like for one, we are I have a head start. We've already got two transit system or two uh, commuter rail systems already, commuter rail lines, and uh, you know we already have Dart also had a significantly larger catchment area with those additional member cities that they have that Forts doesn't have Trinity Metro doesn't have those. Yeah. So get on it, Arlington. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry Jones has always had something to say about that. <laughs> um, what gets you excited about the way you have seen Fort Worth development trend over the last few years? Like obviously the, uh, early 2020 kind of like put a halt to a lot of things and it feels like Fort Worth's development has kind of started trending in a slightly different direction as we have come out of the pandemic. So like what, what excites you about the way that Fort Worth is starting to develop now? I think the most interesting development uh, of post pandemic is the fact that we have, if you've been downtown, you've seen Deco 969, which is the high-rise mm-hmm. apartment building. And it really it's the first like proper new build apartment residential living building. And we did not have those yeah. really at all prior to. And my understanding, and I, I'm not a, a developer myself, but is that if you want to, you can't, developers aren't building what they want to build. They're building what banks will give them money to build, mm-hmm. right? And so banks had been looking at downtown and said, hey, there's no, there's not any of these 
high-rise apartment buildings. Why? So how can you prove to us that you can make this work? And that it ever was. So you, you, nobody could ever do it. And so this new company from, from Nashville came in and said, hey, we're going to do it. I don't know how exactly they managed to pull it off, but they're, they're doing that now. And since that has gotten going, you've seen, I think there's at least three other high-rise apartment buildings that are actually kind of in the proposal stages right now. And uh, I've heard rumors of more. So I think that'll be one of the most, it's kind of the most interesting thing is that we're seeing those, we're, we're breaking that sort of six and seven story plateau that we've had for the past decade. Yeah, I at least, at least I mean, I know the uh, public library sale, it, like that building is supposed to turn into a multifamily um, with like mixed use retail on the bottom. Um, that's something that we talk about a lot is like we want downtown to feel livable. And uh, mm-hmm. right now it has it has always been in sort of like flux because all the apartments are like way on the outside of it and not in that core right there. Um, yeah, I was just driving by the that building, I guess, yesterday. And it's pretty amazing how quick it has gone up once they started yeah, adding. Yeah, yeah, it's only about two or three floors away from being topped out now. So just about as tall as it's going to get. Yeah, I think. So uh, one of your graphs on, on one of the things you were sharing is is how much of downtown is expected to add spaces for people to live compared to other areas. Uh-huh. Um, how how much is that was like pre-pandemic strategy compared to, you know, I know there's a lot of um, fear around what's the what's happening to office spaces uh, now that work from home is more popular. The pandemic has made people less go into downtown. Um Dallas Morning News just had an article about how sublease uh, space is growing very significantly, significantly, specifically in warehouse um, subleasing. So I guess like how much of this downtown strategy that you see happening was pre-pandemic thought out already compared to like, oh, we got to think differently because people aren't going to be, you know, buying large buildings for office space. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of tricky because Fort Worth wasn't really building a whole lot of offices already anyway. Like Mm -hmm. that's you know, even back then we had Frost Tower was like the first significant office building that had been built in probably 15 years. And even outside of downtown, there's only a couple of, of office buildings that have been built at all recently. Um, two, one, two of them are, are just finished up. Well, there's the 701 on Magnolia down there, Magnolia and Hemphill, and then Museum Place has mm. a decent amount of office space. But these are both, well, a little small. I mean, they're not high rises, obviously. Um so office space is already hard to come by and we just weren't seeing it getting built here. And I don't want to go, I don't know how to go into those reasons. Uh, I'm that that's totally out of my scope of, of knowledge. But uh, so I think that, you know, just seeing those residential and even more importantly or more impactfully perhaps for downtown is the hotels that have been really popping up. Like mm-hmm. the amount of hotels that have been building built, have been built in downtown has essentially doubled since 2009 when the Omni opened. Mm. So, um, I don't know if there's any like kind of strategy that there were that anybody was planning for that or, but I, I think that just downtown was maybe already a little over officed. And mm. so now we're just seeing that residential and hotel and even some, you know, entertainment and retail are kind of playing catch up now. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what is your, what is your take on how Texas A&M kind of development and then you also have panther island on the other side 
influence downtown? So Texas A&M is, um, I don't know really how to talk about it because everybody's been hyping it up to be like this really huge deal. And uh, I think it will be, obviously it's going to be such a great, what happens inside of those buildings would be, you know, so great for getting people jobs and, and just kind of elevating the profile of the city. And uh, hopefully we can get them all to stay, you know, that's my, my big fears. We're going to set up all this big investment and then they're going to, people are going to come mm-hmm. and go to school and get an education. And then, you know, we, we already had that issue elsewhere with the other places um, or the other schools in town. So hopefully a can do that. And I think that's going to go hand in hand really with Panther Island because hopefully in, I think, I think Panther Island's a great plan. Um, I think it's really exciting that, you know, we could have this, this really incredible urban, just whole, this massive urban neighborhood, right. With, with, awesome waterfront access and canal it's it sounds like we're combining you know the best thing with austin and the best thing with san antonio and we're just slamming those together and putting it in between the stockyards and downtown which sounds like it's an incredible recipe for success right um so hopefully we can get that you know going and and built and it, it really could be an incredible opportunity and if if it's desirable enough you know maybe it'll be the place where in 10 years those new Aggies coming to town will say, Hey, well, let's set up shop. I want to live on Panther Island. I want to do my business there. Or, uh, you know, I, I think my, this is kind of a little subject, but I are off subject, but hopefully Panther Island doesn't turn into like Las Colinas, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just, mm-hmm. if you've been to Las Colinas, it's, it's cool, but there's kind of a ghost town and it's just like, it's the architecture out there is kind of garbage. Mm-hmm. Even the new, there's like a lot of new apartments that are on the, that, kind of the east side out there and they just don't go together and it, it's, it's kind of a mess out there and then there's it, it's obviously an incredible place for companies to do business because there's I, yeah, I don't even have there's like 4500 headquarters out there multiple i think and uh just so many big office buildings but it's just kind of dull and uh, that's just my fears that that's what i hope we don't see with panther island is that it turns into something you know it, it is designed and at the, like a, a very small macro level when it, when it really gets built out, it hopefully it turns out great. I love that. And I love that analogy. We're really big fans of analogies on the show. <laughs> I'm going to use it. I'm going to use that one. I'll say my guy at now dot town made it happen. <laughs> Can you tell us how you got the name by the way? Now dot town. Like what, how did you get there from? So Fort Worth urban. I don't remember the year, but the, and there's, I'm sure that's this is a name that's bounced around. You know, it, it rhymes with Cowtown, so it, it people have been probably latched onto that for a while. The first, the oldest use that I can find of it was in like a 1970s uh, Chamber of Commerce brochure, where they say, "Hey, this is this is not Cowtown. This is this is Wildtown, or not? Uh, <laughs> this is not this is not Cowtown. It's now town now, right?" And I, I thought that kind of was a fun name because it's it's the word town. You know, you're talking about cities, so town plays into it. And uh, so now, obviously, what's happening now in the town? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It sounds cheesy. <laughs> I know, but, but then I, I went, I, yeah. I, you know, I went online and I was like, I, I had the website, and I realized you could buy dot town as a domain, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm sticking with this. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was like when I saw the brand change, I was like, oh, is he trying to do what he was doing for Fort Worth for other towns? Like, are you going to try to scale this out and make this more of a more of a? Now we're sticking. We're sticking, we're sticking to what we're, we're got not going it, anywhere. Got it. Yeah. Um, can you hit I, on, on, uh, you, you, you kind of briefly talked about hotels and that doubled growth in downtown, which is fascinating. Um, do you have any opinions or thoughts on like the Airbnb saga in Fort Worth and just like short term rentals and like that kind of debate? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never been get a different thought on it, and uh, I don't know where I stand on it. So I don't own any. I don't have any near me, so I feel kind of not impacted by it personally. So it's kind of a yeah. That's kind of no. that's kind of about density. Well, give, give me this because I remember. I said something negative about density on like one of our first shows to like Brian and was it, was it Brian's what's the guy who runs Fort Worth magazine? Yeah. Brian Kendall. Yeah. Brian. And Kendall, I was like, yeah. yeah. And I was like, do we really like, is density really like a thing we really want? Because I, I guess my fear was always, uh, you know, Texas is known like, Oh, this, you know, like when people come to Texas from out of town, it's like, Oh, space and houses and, 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 and yards. And so like, you know, do people come to Texas and now want the density that you can get in L.A. or San Francisco or, or and, and, and is that going to be like something that fits with and how does density fit in the Texas story, especially because Fort Worth is so attached to like the land and space kind of narrative? Um, I feel like that's always been something I've, I've, I've always uh, I wonder how density is going to play, especially because so much of your residence space that you showed on that graph is downtown. And like, how is that going to be attractive to people who actually come to Fort Worth with the idea of, oh, I came here for space, but right now I'm actually, you want me to live like I live in London. So Fort Worth, I just looked it up, has 350 square miles of land, right? <laughs> so if we set aside, you know, let's say 20, and that's way more than what we have, I would assume, and, and like our urban neighborhoods, you set aside 20 of those square miles and you say 330 square miles, whatever you want to do, you can have as much single family homes and whatever you want to do with those. And then you just say like, hey, let's make like 20 of these, these square miles <laughs> into really good urban development. Why not have both? Right. Like yeah. let's make these, let's, if, if you're going to have suburban development, Hey, that's great. People want to live in suburbs. They want space. I understand. Let's let them have it, you know, give it to them and do it as best as you can. Same thing for urban development though, you know, so make, make those urban areas as, as best as they can be. And then you have both. It's the best of both worlds, right? How many, uh, people like what's the equivalent of 20 square miles of like good urban development city wise are, are, are you talking in fort worth no in like like how big is say san francisco um space wise versus we can try and look this up at the same time too uh yeah like how big of a city would that make Fort Worth? How many people can you fit in like 20 square miles of good urban development versus like where we're at now? I think that's an interesting so, question. Uh, I'm looking this up because are, I don't are you, know. Are you, allowed to, are you allowed to say that about your own question? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like when someone laughs at their own joke. <laughs> Gosh, I'm hilarious. So, <laughs> so just as an example, and I, I, I'm not saying that Fort Worth should be San Francisco, but it's a, it, San Francisco is 46 square miles, 47 square miles, and it has 815,000 people. So, you know, even if, even if you take just a, a small chunk of the city and you really dedicate it to being good urban development, you'll also do, you know, a ton of a population of that area. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of one of the big reasons. That's you know, amazing. Not that urban development should be pursued by cities because it's good for the environment people are closer together it's great for economies because same thing economies conglomeration and clustering you've got uh you just get more people in those areas you get better economies from you know the lands are valued higher so you got downtown is the highest you know where the most taxes come from 
So you get in a city that's driven by property taxes, really, it's it's smart for the city to do that, too, even. Yeah, you solve housing issues, supply issues in social, a lot of ways, yeah. too. Social connectedness yeah. and, 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 and community building. Um, that is the absolute worst pitch that I could have possibly made on, like, the overall subject of, hey, why cities are good. Yeah. But there you go. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons. You can look them all up. If you're <laughs> what is uh, something that, like, frustrates you about uh, the way Fort Worth develops, like you're going through, you're looking through permits, doing your normal research and you see something you're like, Oh, really? Not again. <laughs> there's, there's definitely, you get sick of seeing the same, I don't want to say sick, but like, it, it, this is sounds cliche, but the out of town developers, they just throw up stuff, you know, there's so many great local developers and you wish that they, that you, you see the quality difference. Right. Um, and so that, that's one of the things that's always kind of like, ah, and, you know, I, I see that in comments all the time, too. And you, every the, the paper, Star Telegram board report, you know, you'll see comments on them and be like, why, why are we doing, why is this happening? Uh, so that's one. I think the other reason, and I, I don't know if we're going to touch on this in this question or not, but is that, you know, cities and urban development should be for everybody. Mm-hmm. And in Fort Worth, they haven't been. It's, it's been, I, I was listening to your interview with um, the guy from TCU. What's it, the professor? Kyle. Uh, Kyle Kyle Walker. Yes, I was listening to Kyle Walker's interview, and he mentioned that there's only three districts that are like getting more white in Fort Worth, and those are near Southside, Downtown, West Seventh. And it's like, oh, that shouldn't be happening because really, cities and urban living it should be cheaper, right? Like you can you can say you should have more housing, so housing costs should be less. You should be able to just you know not own a car, so you, you, that that's a huge. Uh, car gas insurance yeah Yeah. it's a huge expense that a lot of people have that you could that urban living should be able to to say you don't even need to have that and so i think it's what's one of the really frustrating things is that we're seeing and it's kind of ties into that whole gentrification thing too of of that you know these are urban living and urban development has in fort worth been expensive and i think that kind of a big part of the reason why is that again it really didn't exist a decade ago so you don't have any like established you know, urban places to live where you can just, you know, walk downstairs and you're in a nice walkable neighborhood um, with the exception of downtown. And, you know, downtowns are always going to be a unique case there. But that, that really wasn't a thing that we have historically. So there wasn't something. So everything that we have that's urban is essentially new. And I, I think that's a big part of the reason why it's expensive. And that's also why it's exciting to see, you know, Stop 6 is getting some kind of proper urban developments. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that in, in Evans-Rosedale over there, in the historic south side. So I'm hoping to see that there's more of those where you'll see uh, not necessarily expensive, but you know, and those are both of those developments are being done with like, not by entirely private, right there. Right. There's some public input there. So I'm hoping to see like, more of that, you know, where we can have communities that are really communities. I mean, or again, urban living should be for everybody. What is, what is a city to, to you that you feel like is doing that well, or like a city that you, 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 you appreciate how they've grown since you've like maybe visited, visited it or, 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 or across, it could be the country or it could be internationally. You know, I think people look at Austin all the time and it's, it's a negative example of this. It's the same situation going on there where they didn't really, they had downtown and that was it. And uh, it's the same problem they're having there where it's just, there's nowhere to live. That's, that's cheap. And it, it, the housing prices there are astronomical. Um, I'm trying to get a good example that I've seen really do it well. Like I was in LA, I went to the, uh, my 
went to the TCU game, <laughs> which was a bad time. Um, <laughs> we won't talk about that. But uh, you know, I, I'm just driving around like that Inglewood area is, is so interesting because even it's it's not. I don't know what the housing prices are out there, but it, I know that it's not well known for being like nice necessarily. But it, it does feel like you could you could live there without a car, you know. Mm. Um, oh, I, around the stadium is a little weird, but. I mean, LA is kind of a weird example there, but yeah. no, I mean, one of my best friends growing up um, lives in LA, and like him and his fiance were renting a house in Venice, and only one of them had a car for a long time um, because they just kind of had everything around them that they needed, and uh, one of them was working remotely already. Um, then now they moved a little bit closer to downtown. Uh, and same thing. They're just kind of like, you know, we don't go to Venice anymore because we have everything that we had there also here right around us. And we don't have a ton of need to like leave our little area. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully we can see those, those kinds of developments happen in Fort Worth where people have those, this where you have a grocery store and everything you need within a short distance. Yeah. Um, so when you think of Austin and, and, and are you someone who's like Fort Worth needs, like when people like often say like, there's two types of camps in Texas of like, Oh, Austin's like this, like the city we need to thrive to be. And other people are like, Oh no, this is what we need us not become like is where is Fort Worth in that? Like you feel like Fort Worth is on the journey in a healthy relationship of becoming like an Austin or like we needed at all costs learn from Austin and not become what the, just what's what's now austin today yeah i mean i definitely don't want to see us become austin entirely i mean there's there's some things that they've done well you know and there's there's a reason people are moving there and, and paying a lot of money to do so and i think it's important you know that you, you strive to make your city better like that and desirable but there's you know austin's obviously a, a classic example of, of you know that it got expensive it lost its culture um and so you know i don't want to see forward forward through that yeah, and so there's there's a balance you have to strike, right? It's just uh, just making sure that development happens equitably, and uh, I think it's one of the things we're struggling with a little bit. But I think that's also again, anything that you build, you know, new stuff is expensive, right? Mm. So it's always a struggle to 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 make change happen and do it in a way that is affordable. Yeah, yeah. What is it? What is a city in your mind that you visited? that is similar to Fort Worth of 2010? Like the way you remember Fort Worth in 2010, is there a city now in, in the country where you're like, oh, this kind of feels like Fort Worth back in the day? This might give me some flack, but I feel like Fort Worth in 2010 was kind of boring. So it's it's like, you know, I, I think of like small, like mid-sized cities, like, you know, I don't, Oklahoma City, even Tulsa, you know, Omaha, they kind of feel similar in size and scale. And then, you know, they've, they've all of the three of those cities have seen their own development too, but those cities kind of remind me of, of how we are or how we were back then. Yeah. Love that. But uh, I think that forward, you know, forwards, another, you know, big reason that we're not them is that we have, you know, we're part of a larger mm. metropolitan area here and we have other incredible assets like the airport and, you know, having Dallas and Collin County and whatnot nearby is, is kind of an incredible and it's cool if you live here too, right? Because you can you can never go to those places. 
but they're 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 an hour away if you want to. Yeah. Yeah, we talk a lot about like is Fort Worth going to lose out like from being DFW to becoming like Dallas Frisco Plano with how yeah. much that area is developing and uh, like what in your mind does Fort Worth urban development wise need to do to continue to like maintain and increase its identity in the metroplex as opposed to you know people land at dfw they go over to dallas now they can go up to universal for a day uh maybe they don't need to make the drive over to the stockyards of the choices between you know going to see cows and going to see minions and trolls <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a heck of a sell yeah. <laughs> can we combine this now yeah um, um geez I, you know, I think, I don't know how many people travel to cities just to go see, like, what the locals do, for, mm. so to speak. But I, I personally do, right? Like, and I know a lot of people that do, and maybe that's who you want to cater to, right? Like, if, if we even, you know, is that even something we want to cater to? I don't know. That's not my question to answer. But, like, as, as a city, is that what we want to do? Um, and I think, you know, just continue building, you know, quality and good neighborhoods. And, uh people if, if they're great people against them you know i was talking to somebody recently who's like i go to san antonio now i, I don't go downtown i go to the pearl district mm, yeah. so you know we can see that here if, if you know if you have new things that are attractive like that you know stick with it keep doing it do it better do it more kind of last question what is something in fort worth that gets you really excited that people don't know about like obviously we know about big high rise going into downtown or you know museum place development but like what's a piece of development that you see coming down the pipeline that people might might not know about that gets you excited i think right now so if you go on to my website now downtown there's a project map tab at the top there i think it's a really handy tool if you haven't seen that or used that and it, it kind of is a I try to make it both visual and so you can see what's happening and interactive uh, with the map so you know where things are happening too. And um, so I'm, I'm not answering this question really well here, but if, if, if you're listening and you don't know and you want to go figure out what you're, what you're excited about, you can check that out. Um, and I'm kind of not answering this because I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, this is a great there, there's thing some to really cool people stuff. too. Um, there, there's some, really exciting you know just just mixed use projects I, I think that some of the, my favorite things that happen are, are these smaller ones like uh the ps1200 development that's going up off magnolia mm. if you've seen the kind of quonset hut looking buildings yeah. down there that was done by a, a well-known a guy who just won the aia gold medal which is a super exclusive you know the only people that have designed things but that have that same medal are they did the museums mm. um and that's a cool little development you know it's unique and so those those things get me excited um Presidio Interest is doing a really cool development off of South Main. It's like it's nearly a hundred units, if not more, and it's it has no parking. It's very, very urban. Nice. Um, so this and he's a, that's a local group. So I think a lot of these, I think what makes me excited is, is these local groups that are doing cool things. Or I guess the PS twelve hundred one wasn't local, but you know, local groups that are doing cool things here, mm. and uh, we're seeing kind of more of that where it feels like local developers are saying that they 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 like the city and they want to contribute to it in a way that's positive in quality mm. yeah that was kind of rambly i don't know if i no uh, i feel like every time you every time you say something or tweet something i learn something and so uh you're that's 
I appreciate you for coming on to the 817 pod. Hopefully we can have you again down the road when, when more things come up. Um, but it's, it's really been great. How can we direct people on how to support your work and, and, and stay in touch with you? Can I, can I rewind real quick and ask y'all? Yeah, for sure. What, what projects are you excited about? I want, to, I want to throw it back at you. I don't feel like I'm so smooth like you and knowing everything. I, hey, you got a resource here. <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy, as a person who travels a lot and enjoys hotels, um, I the like hotel culture downtown does excite me. Um, Bowie, Bowie House, right? Is that the name of the hotel that's coming in? Say that one more time. Bowie House or Bowie I, House? Yeah, yeah. I say it like it's you know Bowie, like the small town that my grandma yeah. was born in outside. In is it Bowie? Yeah. But yeah, I think it's Bowie. But yeah, just another Bowie. like interesting hotel. Like the Sandman signature was also announced not too long ago. Um, mm-hmm. I think the like hotel scene gets me excited because it reminds me of Fort Worth's coffee scene five six years ago when it was first getting started and so everybody was like being really innovative um really creative trying to like create their niche and i feel like that's kind of what the uh hotel scene is going through right now where we're getting a lot of really unique experiences that make me want to actually do like a, a staycation and spend time there and get to know their space or just go hang out in the lobby bar. Yeah. I feel like we can't talk about hotels and local developers without also getting a shout out to John, Jonathan Morris. Yeah. And Hotel Dryce. Cause that's like, that's one of the coolest things that's happened in the last half decade, right? The yeah. Hotel Dryce is awesome. What a great, that's what I want to see more of, right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Especially, yeah. Local people taking industries that are typically more national and creating like a really unique, space for locals and travelers to enjoy absolutely mm-hmm. yeah no yeah i guess for me it's just just i i, I don't have any specific development i mean i'm kudos I, I agree on the downtown hotel energy but like i guess what i'm excited to watch is just the relationship between like alliance texas and downtown fort worth like and just like how it just develops as a whole macro league you know just like it's its own city up there. It has its own energy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's bring, but like, because, you know, looking at your work, when you did the whole like Fort Worth city limits compared to other cities on Twitter, like it's, it should be, it, you know, it's Frisco, but it's like in our city. So it's like, I, I, I'm interested to see how that goes and, and grows, especially as both obviously get bigger. Yeah. If somebody out there wants to start Fort Worth, suburban you should do it because there's so much happening out there under the hood <laughs> that I, I can't keep up with right like that'd be way too much to even try there's but yeah there's there's the, the growth is happening in every direction nowadays yeah for sure well austin i would love to know where, where we can uh support direct people we'll put your where your site on the uh in the description notes but any last minute things you'd like to say no, this, uh, appreciate any appreciate you bringing me on. If you if you're listening, you want to learn more now on town, you can scroll down to the bottom. You can find all of my social. I'm I'm most active on Twitter, even though Twitter is a weird place these days. <laughs> it is an easy it is an easy place to just you know it, it, to talk about. You can thread things together and it can be short and concise. And that's what I like to be. Um, so if you if you have one place, Twitter, but you know anywhere, um, that's kind of it. Yeah, and and really, I mean, one, I mean, I feel like. The first time, like some of the first places I go to feel smart in Fort Worth is to his Twitter. 
I do it every week before I get onto this pod because it's super fresh. It's super uh, insightful. Um, and I just appreciate you coming on. I've, I've always been, I'm a big fan of like real people who I can never be like, because I'm not as like cool. <laughs> so I like appreciate who you are and like what you do for Fort Worth. I appreciate it. And I don't know if this goes here or not, but the other thing I would say too is, is don't just follow me, but as you know, I, I'm not trying to be in place of local media. I'm trying to be with it, you know, mm-hmm. so follow, follow the weekly, the start telegram the report more than anything, all of them, you know, make sure they're, they're, they're all doing great things too. So it's a, it's a community effort. For sure. Well, there was that Jimmy two interviews. First time ever two very different interviews. But uh, we're here. Yeah, we made it. Uh, I think it's interesting the way like both of those conversations can overlap while also having like their very micro and macro uh, level details. And uh, I mean, I think everything that we talked about with Jared plays into everything we talked about with Austin and especially like fostering the youth of this city goes a long way towards helping in its urban development. And like Austin said, figuring out how to keep that talent and keep our young people developed and here in Fort Worth to continue lending their gifts and talents to the city. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, we're excited for even next week too. We have another uh, interview on the books with the new president uh, at TCU, which is really exciting. Um, Really. I mean, just, he's just started, this uh this month so we'll be able to have that as well if you've enjoyed this episode please subscribe share with a friend um also um if you're looking for more episodes we have episodes with robert stearns um different different people all across the city from cameron kutchman with health science center and we've had a great last week episode last week's episode was one of my favorites um of just me and you and uh so if you want to nerd out on some more of this stuff that we talked with jared and Austin, check out last episode as well. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening, and we will see you next week. Follow us like double tap.